Welcome to the weekend edition of The Daily Writer. Each weekday, we bring you a short lesson that helps you live out the four practices of a great writer. Creativity, consistency, courage, and connection. Here on The Weekend Edition, we take a deeper dive into those topics through conversations with writers and teaching that helps us apply what we're learning. For more, you can visit us at dailywriterlife.com. Hey, thanks so much for joining me for today's episode. As you know, this is a daily show, which means that every single day we release a new episode. And one of the challenges of doing a daily podcast is that there's so much good content that some of it gets lost at the shuffle. I mean, when you have 365 episodes over the course of a year's time, some stuff is kind of bound to get lost in the back catalog of episodes. So if you've been listening to the last two or three weekends worth of episodes, you know that here in August on our weekend episodes, I'm revisiting some of my favorite interviews from the last couple of years. And even if you've listened to those when I released them the first time, they're absolutely worth revisiting. So today I'm honored to share this conversation with Mike Kim that I recorded last year. Mike is a business coach and a marketing strategist who specializes in personal branding, product launch strategies, and copywriting. His core philosophy of marketing is this. Marketing isn't about closing a sale. It's about opening a relationship. Mike is one of my favorite communicators. As a writer, speaker, podcaster, and copywriting expert, he has the uncanny ability to cut through the noise and say things in a straightforward and memorable way. And last year, I asked Mike to come on the show and talk about personal branding because it's a vital topic for every single writer. So in this conversation, you're going to learn what a personal brand is and why you need it. You'll learn about Mike's journey from a worship pastor to a branding expert And you'll learn some of Mike's predictions for personal branding in the coming year or two and much more. I also want to encourage you to follow Mike on social media because he not only adds a ton of value there, he's really, really hilarious. He's just a very easygoing and fun guy. Also, make sure to check out Mike's excellent podcast, Brand You, as well as his brand new book that was just released, and it's called You Are the Brand, the eight-step blueprint to showcase your unique expertise and build a highly profitable, personally fulfilling business. It's a fantastic book. And in fact, it's so good that I just bought a copy of the book for everybody in the Daily Writer community. So uh, that's actually the first time I've ever done that. But I love the book so much. I'm like, hey, you guys really need a copy of this book. So there you go. Well, this interview was a blast. I enjoyed it last year. And I think it's even more relevant right now because personal branding never ends. It's a topic that is so critical and vital for all of us who are building a following, who are building an audience, and we're putting our work out there for the world. So enjoy this amazing interview with the phenomenal Mike Kim. Well, Mike, welcome to the Smart Business Writing Podcast. I'm so thrilled that we have been able to do this, and I appreciate you taking time to do this conversation in the midst of lots of journeys and traveling. So thank you. Oh, it's a total pleasure. It's an honor to be here and honor to be with all of you who are tuning in. Hope to add some value to you today. Awesome. Well, I am anxious to talk about some uh, questions related to personal branding, of which you are obviously an expert and have been doing this for a long time. But I have to to give readers, a, or readers, I have to give listeners a little bit of context about how, uh, how I met you in person a couple of years ago at Jeff Coyne's Tribe Conference. We had yeah. a lunch with Cliff Ravenscraft. That was so much fun. And I just really enjoyed meeting you and so many other folks there. So that was, uh, that was really cool. Yeah, um, Jeff's become a good friend. Um, I met him probably the same event I met Cliff 
back in 2013. And that was when I was getting my start in the online business. Up until that point, I was marketing and uh, at a company, I was the CMO. And of course, writing had a big part to do with what we were doing. And I wanted to step out and start my own business, be on my own, call my own shots. And here we are like, what, seven years later? (laughs) Now, I learned something very interesting about you. This has been a year or two ago because you used to put on, or I don't know if you still do, but you put on the Influence and Impact Summit. Is that correct? Do I have that name right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I listened to watch the videos or listen to the autos. I don't remember which ones from a year or two ago. And I remember you talking in one of the sessions about how you started out as a worship pastor, which I had no idea. That's my background as well. So so I'm curious for everybody listening who is from a church or ministry background, of which there will be some, but not everybody. How do you go from being in that world to then being involved in marketing and branding and business and in the realm that you're in now? Wow. Yeah, there was no easy, there's no easy answer because every person's path is a little bit different. But my story really started Father's Day 2009. It was my second year on staff at a church as their worship pastor, a church in New England. And I didn't know anyone who did my job full time, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I reached out to this guy in Colorado who was on staff at a really big church. and emailed him and asked him for an hour of his time and said, I would be willing to fly out there for an hour of your time just to pick your brain because I don't really know if I'm doing things right. <laughs> I know <laughs> There's the no feeling. model for this, right? And I, on one hand, I'm leading a team of creatives and trying to fill some volunteer slots and all that sort of stuff and uh, create a good quote unquote product. And on the other hand, I'm dealing with a lot of organizational leadership issues. Sure. Which are hampering my ability to do what I am supposed to do in the first place. And I, contrary to most creatives and musicians, am pretty organized when it comes to <laughs> you know production and schedules and logistics. And I'm pretty good with that, all things considered. And I've always loved organizational growth. I just didn't grow up in a business. So I channeled all of that energy through a church. Flew out to meet this guy, Kent, and sat in his office. This guy was figuratively and almost literally at the top of the mountain in this industry because went into his office, 20,000-person church, look out the back windows of his office, you see the Rocky Mountains. Oh, man. This guy guy made it, right? Um, Albums, uh, contracts with, you know, uh, record companies, big conferences, you name it. Had it all. The guy was probably 43 years old at the time, and I, I, I was 30, and I sat there, and I went back to my hotel, and I thought to myself, if everything breaks right in my life over the next 13 or 14 years, would I want this guy's life? And I said, no. Hmm. And that started a whole chain reaction of questions, me picking up the rock, looking to see what's under it in every area. And I started to say, I don't think a life of impact for me, not anyone, but just for me in particular, a life of impact is not going to be me leading songs for the same 800 people every Hmm. weekend for the rest of my life. That's that's not what I want to do with my life. And it completely reframed the way that I saw my life 
And sometimes we need to see someone who's at the top of the mountain we're climbing to make sure that we're climbing the right mountain. Wow, that's powerful. That was what that experience, yeah, that's what that was for me. And it set in motion a series of uh, decisions that eventually led me to step away from vocational ministry, not out of heartache or burnout or anything like that, but I was just like, I don't want to do this, so why would I keep doing this? And that's, that's what happened, really. Um, and long story short, I think people who actually do that kind of work are probably the best equipped people I've ever seen for the online personal branding kind of teaching space, thought leadership space, because so many of the skills carry over. You know, it's funny because I, I, um, I still teach at a Christian college in my day job and have been in the the church ministry world for, well, really since I was a teenager in many ways. And it's so interesting because I've always thought that pastors are uniquely positioned to do those kinds of things because they're producing content. They're, they're creative many times they're organized. They have so many transferable skills that they could do in, in other fields if they wanted to. And of course, you know, many people do feel called to that, that type of work permanently, which is awesome as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. All of that comes to bear, you know, yeah, if you're good at that industry, right? If you're good at communicating, um, you're going to be good at communicating every, in every other industry. Uh, most people are terrified of public speaking. Well, for people who are in ministry, that's their life, you know? And so creating content, being in front of people, learning to hone your craft, all of that carries over. And it's, it's really an unfair advantage to be honest. (laughs) I've been fascinated with John Maxwell's journey for a long time. And I know you've done some work with him and, you know, different points in my life where I have felt really discouraged or have wondered, am I, am I on the right path in my life? I always go back to a specific message that he, that he put together for his enjoy life club years ago. And it was called when to quit. And I know that that one teaching has impacted so many people's lives as it has mine, but he's fascinating because, you know, he was used to be a pastor and then transitioned into more of a writing and speaking and coaching and training kind of a business. So it's just been fascinating to see his journey over the years as well, taking those skills that he honed in a church environment and then expanding those, not leaving ministry, but really expanding his ministry in many ways. Yeah. And chances are he probably had to improve his communication. Because when you get out into the business space, so many people are vying for attention. Yeah, and um, his his you know I've spent time with him you know one on one and working on his content with him and um, doing production meetings and all that kind of stuff. And he definitely has a presence about him. But the key to really the way I see it as a as a writer and as a communicator, the key to his success is that he started speaking in tweets before Twitter was around. Hmm. Man, that is just, so true. Yeah, it's just zingers. It's one-liners. And that's why he gets quoted so much. It's short. It's pithy. It's understandable. It gets to the point. And if you read a book that's that he writes, all, all, all you're really doing is sifting through for one-liners. And that's what he and his team create so well. Um, his content creation process is very, very interesting. And so that's really what worked and it's why he's stayed relevant even till his seven in his 70s because he speaks and communicates in this certain way and yeah we can learn a lot from him 
I know you have addressed this this elsewhere. At least I, I think you have. You you talked about it maybe in one of your newsletters, which I love so much. By the way, thank you for having an an, an email newsletter that is so legit and so much fun and so easygoing. <laughs> and it's not like, and I know that that you you're selling stuff and you know you have different things that you're promoting. And I've and I've bought at least a couple of those. I think um, that were so helpful. But it's just so much fun, and I wish more people would have a a newsletter that was so much fun. So, so thank you for that, by the way. That may, may be where you were talking about what I'm getting ready to reference, which is you addressed somewhere how you actually came to work with John Maxwell. And I'm curious if you can detail that out a little bit of how do you get connected with someone at that level and someone who is so successful and is impacting so many lives? How does that something like that actually happen? Yeah, it's, it's funny. People ask me, I, I've been really, really fortunate to have so many unique opportunities come my way. And if I look at it in retrospect, I all I know that I did is that I positioned myself to for opportunities to come my way. I was just ready for opportunities. In fact, I think one of the things John says, I don't know if it's a quote of his or something like that, or if he quoted it from somewhere else, but there was a line he I had heard from him. So I'll just attribute it to him. He said, um, like by the time the opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Hmm, that's great. And what happened with the John Maxwell in, um, situation was I, um, I got a call or an email from a guy who is a videographer. Excuse me, I got a cough for a second. Got a call from a videographer who Get this, back in the day, Kent shot a video for a song that I'd written with a friend of mine. Oh, wow. That's crazy. For church. And we recorded this this video and we got to know each other there. We had a lot of mutual friends. And he watched my transition in my business, my life happen over all these years. Didn't really consume any of my content, but just saw it. Just knew that I was up to something different. When he and his wife ended up working with the folks at the John Maxwell team, and he overheard them talk about how they could use an overhaul in their marketing and so, mm. on and so forth, this this guy Andrew said, "You need to call my friend Mike." And like, who's that? I'm like, well, he's my friend, and he's really good at this stuff. You need to talk to him. <laughs> and I, Andrew reached out to me and said, "Hey, I talked to the John Maxwell people about you, the president." And the organization's going to call you. And I'm like, hey, I really appreciate this. But in all honesty, you're the video guy. Okay. <laughs> like they, don't make, they don't make high level decisions to bring in an outside consultant listening to the video contractor. <laughs> That's hilarious. Right? And so I just kind of dismissed it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sure. I'll take the I said yes. Right. I said yes to the call. And we, we had a call. I talked to this guy, Paul Martinelli, and I you know, didn't know who he was either. And I think I'd heard his name thrown around a few times. I, I didn't know who he was. And we talked, and the timing didn't work out. He's like, hey, I'm about to travel for the summer. Why don't we reconvene in the fall? And I said, sure. So we reconvened in the fall. And he and his team flew up to D.C. from Florida to just meet with me. And I took the meeting because I was living in D.C., and I was flattered that they flew the whole team up there. 
And he said, look, we want you. We, we want to work with you. And I said, I'm very flattered, but I'm two days away from buying an around the world ticket and living on the beach for six months because <laughs> I had just gone through a divorce and my personal life was in upheaval and I just wanted some time off. And I said, I just want to go scuba diving and drink scotch. And he's like, you can do that in Florida. And I just <laughs> laughed. And, he, you know, he was a good salesman. And so I said, yes. And I felt like maybe this is just a really good transitional, you know, thing for me. Um, I told him very clearly, I don't intend to stay there for a long time. I don't want to be an employee. I'm there as a consultant. But they said, please move to Florida. We'll we'll get some stuff set up for you. And I figured there's worse places to spend winter than Florida. And that's how it happened. And honestly, I know that behind the scenes, they've probably did a lot of background checks and scoped out my blog and my podcast and my social media and saw what I was about. And that was helpful, I'm sure, because they had months to do that. But every big name contract that has come my way has found me through some sort of odd opportunity like that, a referral. And it's because I branded myself in a way where I just, I, people felt like I knew what I was doing and I had this stuff to look at, you know, and I had that publicity piece that is so important. You know, and so that cemented my authority. That's that's really how it happened. It's incredible. It's it's crazy to me that that's how sometimes it works. But that's how it was. Now, what's the, what's the lesson in there generally for those of us in the, I guess for lack of a better term, the personal brand space, and maybe that is the best term. Is this the lesson just being on being really clear with what it is that you do, being clear with your messaging? Is that kind of the main takeaway from all this? Do you think? I think actually the main takeaway is you have to have a body of work. Oh, you have to show that's it. great. Okay, yeah. love that. Like every 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 high profile client who has found me has come through a referral through another friend of theirs who has found me because of my body of work. Years ago, I worked with Donald Miller. I he never knew who I was, and uh, he's an author. He's the founder of Story Brand, very very successful marketing company. Love his stuff. And yeah, and. He called me and he filled out my form on my blog. Like he filled out my <laughs> intake form. Which That's is, awesome. Yeah, it's hilarious to most people that I like. They're like, well, no one fills out an intake form. I'm like, excuse me? I'm okay. I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm like, just do what I say. Have this stuff set up. You, you know, you're asking for opportunities. And what are these people going to do? Just email you randomly? They don't know who you are. You know, look like that you have your stuff set up. And Filled out my form. He had heard of me through Michael Hyatt and through Ray Edwards. These are other guys that I, that I kind of learned some stuff under. And they saw my body of work. And so they recommended me to him. And then he checked out my body of work and he filled out my form. And he, he, we talked and he said, hey, I don't know who you are. You came with the recommendation of some friends of mine. And I've read like every blog post you've written on your blog in the last two days. And I'm like, oh, cool. Thank you. I've heard of you and uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I've never read a single book you've ever read. I've never read a single word you've read. So if we work together, you know, I won't be blowing smoke up your butt. Like if, <laughs> I love that. Bad writing. I'm going to tell you. And he, he just, I think he just appreciated that. I wasn't really a fanboy, you know? And, um, and, and that's, that's what it's been like. These, I, I really had a body of work even before I met these kind of clients 
where honestly, Ken, I can honestly say that I didn't need them to elevate my brand. Hmm. And so I was in a position where they really wanted me more than I wanted them. And it's because I had the body of work. I always knew that there was an out, even though I was paid well for these projects. Uh, I could have made more money on my own, but I invested the time and the energy to helping them as clients because I knew it would be good for me as well. But it wasn't really more of a, it wasn't a monetary thing. It was just more, you know what? I, this is really cool. I mean, if you told me back in 2009 when I was sitting at that church in Colorado that within 10 years, I'd be working with Donald Miller and John Maxwell, some of the biggest names in the industry with zero experience. I would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> wow. And so for me to actually rub shoulders and be around people of this kind of caliber really helped my personal and professional development. That's really what I did it for. It wasn't for the money. Because I think a lot of times when people take clients, and I know this is about writing and stuff like that, this show, we take clients and we think that if I just land one big fish client, it's going to take care of all my marketing problems and it's going to really cement my stature in the marketplace. And that's not true because it's not the client's job to promote you hmm. after you're done. It's your client's job to just pay you. And um, that's why I don't have any hard feelings if I work with a client like that and we don't continue our relationship. I don't have any hard feelings if they don't want me on their podcast or they don't come on my podcast. All of them have, but we don't do business anymore. And even if opportunities came now, I'm in a different place in my career where I want to do different things. Hmm. So it's, I think we, we, I think freelancers and, and contractors and folks in this space tend to feel like, well, if I just can put a, a John Maxwell or Donald Miller on my resume, it's going to be great for business. And I can honestly say it, it didn't make that much of a huge difference. I was building my brand for years before that. It, it enhanced it. Sure. It's, is it bad publicity? Of course not, but it'll run its course. I mean, it's been what, four years since I've worked with, with story brand, you know, and so I, you know, the juice is gone. They've moved on to do other <laughs> things, right? If I'm still hanging my hat on that project, something's wrong with me. So yeah, but uh, again, it's just body of work. It's just body of work. I tell people, build a podcast, build your blog, build your email list. Um, keep getting out there in front of people. The only real difference from the people who've made it and the people who haven't is that they've consistent, they've been very consistent and they've consistently grown. And that's really it. Now I'd love to drill down a little bit on this concept of building a body of work specifically. I've noticed that there has been a shift the last uh, shift. I want to make sure I put the F in there just in case anybody's <laughs> like, what is he? There's been a real shift in, in things the last couple of years in that many of us are are going audio first and then not focusing as much on the blog content. Would you say, is that primarily your impulse these days is the podcast is your main way of building your content? Because I noticed, and because I geek out about this kind of stuff, and apparently I have nothing better to do than analyze these <laughs> kinds of things. But I have noticed that a lot of times when you go to people's websites who, who do writing, but also podcasting, that under the podcast tab, there obviously will be links to their podcast episodes and all that. But then when you go to the blog link on their website, those will basically be blog posts that are just a description of the episode. Basically, they're show notes. Would you yep. say that is that your approach these days is that you're mainly focusing on audio and not so much on 
writing blog posts? Yeah, I would say that the podcast and my email list are the main channels. Uh, those are my primary marketing channels. The way that I look at it is that the only asset I have in this business, the only thing I can actually sell off to somebody is my email list. If you really look at what are the sellable assets in an online personal brand business, it's just your email list. Yeah. I can't, I can't sell MikeKim.com to anybody. I can't sell my Instagram or my Facebook accounts to anybody, right? You know, big enough. And so when I started my career, I blogged quite often. And the whole goal was to engage my email list and grow my email list. The problem is writing takes a long time. And when I got into podcasting, I kept blogging. But the podcast is a completely different animal because I think it was... Um, I think it was 2014 when I started my podcast and I realized that a blog is like a single, like from a, a, a band, right? Like a music single, yeah, a hit single. And the podcast is like the entire album. And the most diehard fans will listen to an entire album that a band puts out. So when I put out this podcast, I had folks who years later would say, I went back to episode one and listened to every single episode. I said, something's wrong with you. Like, <laughs> I could never listen to myself talk that much. Like, that's crazy. Like, thank you. I'm flattered, but wow. And you realize it's a completely different animal. Now, because people aren't really blogging now, I've started blogging again. I just don't do it once a week. Hmm. I, can't, I can't produce it at that kind of churn. And um, when it comes to content, I tell people, like, there's really three things that you have to factor into your content marketing strategy. It's, um, it's the volume, which is your body of work. How much stuff, you know, you know, do you have, how much are you going to produce? It's the velocity. How often are you going to produce it? And it's the value. Is it any good? There are a lot of people who are churning out content at a great velocity and it's not valuable. It just, it's just mediocre content. And there are others who, because of that, have built up a volume of content, but they're building on platforms that are very ethereal and temporal, right? Mm. They're very temporary. They're on Twitter and they've got 25,000 tweets, but nobody sees them. And so the reason I love podcasting is because it allows you to do all three of those things. You have the volume, you have the, the, the regular velocity, and it's not really difficult to have a conversation with somebody and record it like we're doing right now. Um, and then you can add a lot of value there. And if you work on making sure the podcast is good, it actually hits all of those three things with relative ease. The problem with the blog post is that the velocity can be very, very overwhelming unless you have a mm. team of writers. Yeah. So what I've done with the, with the blog instead is aim to maybe put a really good post out once every six weeks. And at the time of us having this conversation, I put one out at the start of the year called Five Predictions for the Personal Brand Marketing Space in 2020. Yep, I love I mean, that one. It's a timely, yeah, it's a timely I loved post. it. Thanks. Um, and of course, most people who read it don't know that there was a podcast episode about it two months earlier. Well, that's, that's where I first heard it. Yeah. Is on your podcast so back in December. It. Yeah. Yeah, I just repurposed it. And a whole new slew of people consume that content because it's in a different medium. Now, then you could theoretically say, well, why don't you write a blog post for every you know, podcast you put out. I just can't, I don't have the velocity for it. 
or I don't want to invest the money in finding a copywriter to do it because I'd rather use that money to run paid ads. Yeah. So now it's like, you know, strategy is the proper allocation of resources, you know, time, money, people, energy, right? And so if, instead of paying a writer $1,000 a month to turn my blog posts, uh, turn my podcast into blog posts, and the writing might not even be that good for that price point, you know, that's not a very high, high fee to pay to a co- good copywriter. Um, I'd rather take that money and run ads and grow the email list directly. And then when I have time, send out good blog posts and just do little mini stuff through my email list, which is what you were referring to. And with email, it's easy because it's shorter. It doesn't have to be as extensive as a blog post. I can write an email to my list, be very short, punchy, and pithy, and do that in 30 minutes. Whereas writing a blog post, to be honest, will take me a couple hours a week. So, you know, there's all that that's involved. So, um, yeah, it's, that's just kind of the modality by which I'm creating content right now. But at the end of the day, the only asset that I really have in my business is my email list. I, Instagram can shut me down. YouTube can shut me down. Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, like Thanos from the Avengers, can snap <laughs> his fingers so true. and decide that, yeah, I no longer exist. Um, even the podcasts can shut me down. You know, they, I mean, these are on borrowed channels. They're on bar- borrowed feeds and outlets. The email list is the only thing that I own. And everything I do outside in marketing, social media, uh, blogging, podcasting, launches, webinars, the purpose of those things is to feed the email list. Now, you don't do it in a spammy way. But you realize, Kent, that at some point you've got to look at your business and say, this business is like a baby and that baby needs food and the food are leads. (laughs) And that's an email. It is my job to raise this child and feed it. And that's the way that I look at my my business. And like that means feeding it email addresses. What, what What are some of the best ways that you have found to grow an email list? I know that that is a topic of lots of different conversations and lots of different potential answers, but in your experience, what are the best strategies that strategies that you have used to do that over the years? Yeah, I, I, it's, I'm always interested to hear what other people are teaching about how to grow an email list. Um, I know that there are some, you know, different ways to do that. I will honestly just say that the only things that have really, really spiked my email list are uh, launches, doing launches, because that is an event in itself, right? Because it garners so much publicity. So doing a launch campaign where people are opting in for a webinar or a series of webinars or some pre-launch content, speaking engagements, because I usually give people my slides to my talks. So I'll pick up a couple hundred people if I speak at a conference or whatnot. And uh, webinars. And webinars being smaller than a launch because when you're promoting a webinar, you have to you have to register. Like you know, no. there's there's no way, other way around it. Like they have to register, so people expect it. Now underneath all that, I I put in a small amount of money daily to run ads to a couple of my lead magnets. Uh, free that's those are free resources that I give that are templates or checklists of some sort. But any of the spikes that I've seen in my email list have become have come because of launches, speaking engagements, or webinars. And that's mm. really it. Um, I know that there are a lot of other people who will teach 
you should write a really great blog post and try to get it on a really big site and allow them to share your opt-in and yada, yada, yada. And that sounds great, but I'm not banking on that, right? Because someone else can make that decision for me. I'm banking on, let me use the brand that I have, the content that I'm creating, um, the audience that I've already attracted and serve them and ask them to get word out about what I'm doing. So that's, that's just kind of in my experience how it's been. Well, I have to compliment you on your webinars. I attended your, I, well, I don't know if it was your most recent webinar, but it was a recent one from, I think, December or sometime. I don't remember exactly, but it was the six-figure roadmap webinar mm. and took a bunch of notes and really appreciated it because so many times webinars are just one big long sales pitch, but yours actually have really good content to them. And and I always know, hey, he's going to be promoting his thing, which I'm totally cool with because I love your stuff. But I also appreciate it because it was actually just really good content. Hmm. So I could tell that, you. that you really worked hard putting that together as you do all your stuff. I mean, I can't think of any of your podcasts or anything that I've seen that I have come across where I just thought, oh, that was, that was really not very good. <laughs> you know, like I can tell everything is really thoughtful and, and there's always something great there, which I always appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. I just try to, I just try to share content in a way that I think I would understand, you know, simple, you know, just easy to get. And and that's just really how I approach it. When you're putting together your topics for your podcast, what, what in your mind tells you, this is a topic I need to cover on my podcast versus, ah, this is something that might be good, but I'm not going to talk about it. Like, is it things that people are asking you about? Is it things that you personally want to talk about? What's your filter for deciding on those topics? Yeah. So actually my, my podcast is really geared um, towards two types of people. So the way I look at business, I took this out of Todd Herman's book, um, not his actual book, but he talks about this a lot. And, you know, he says that there are five stages of business. The first stage is the startup phase. And that's when you're trying to validate your product, service, or your offering. You're still working on your course. You're still working on your service that you're going to offer to the market, right? So that's a total startup phase. And in that phase, it's very easy to get overwhelmed by all the things that you have to do. You tend to get stuck because you're comparing yourself to everybody else. And you're not really sure what makes you different, right? You're not even sure how to make your first dollar. Hmm. And so I gear a lot of my, I gear a lot of my early content toward that audience, that startup phase, like as if they're literally still working their job. They don't know where to start. They want to get some education. They want to get some understanding the lay of the land before they start really doing some stuff to intentionally, you know, build this thing and go full time. The second group of people would be in the second stage of business, which is the ramp up phase. And they have clients or they are making some money, but they haven't differentiated themselves in the market enough. And so their conversions aren't very good. They're not converting to sales very well. Hmm. And they don't have a main marketing channel. So in that ramp up phase, what I'm really trying to help them do is differentiate themselves in their marketing, which is why I teach copywriting and uh, my program is called Copyproof 
to help them market and write in a voice that's uniquely theirs, right? You have to be different. You have to be yourself and increase their conversions, which is why I teach direct response copywriting and help them pick a marketing channel, whether it's a podcast or a blog or Instagram or YouTube, whatever you choose, make sure it's the right channel and stay consistent with it. And how do you stay consistent with it? You got to create content. Well, how do you create good content? You have to learn to write. (laughs) Exactly. Everything that I do is for those two groups, the startup and the ramp up. Now, the third phase is the build up, which is really where I was for years that um, the revenues in the business were great. We were, we were capping out nearly half a million dollars a year. You know, what did I do with that money? I don't know. Right? <laughs> um, and at the end of the day, though, I'm the main driver of the business. If I get hit by a truck, boom, there goes the business. If I don't do a webinar, if I don't come up with the ideas, if I don't create the content, if I don't do this, I don't do that, the business does not move forward. So even though revenues were great, I was starting to get very tired. And that's because I wasn't at stage four, which is to scale up. Hmm. And scale up are the systems that you need to consistently generate leads, to consistently generate the income, to consistently have SOPs, standard operating procedures in place so that you can do something and replicate it over and over again. And so that's in the phase that we're in right now. We're moving from that build up to the scale up phase. I've got an incredible partner named Chelsea Brinkley who runs basically everything in the business now and is really trying to help me get there. We're trying to systemize um, you know, sales and then we're trying to systemize marketing. We're trying to systemize customer service and we're trying to systemize um, the finance, right? Bookkeeping and accounting. And those are really the, the four areas in every, any business that you have to master in order for the business to be healthy and for the entrepreneur not to want to kill themselves, right? Sales, marketing, um, customer service, and, and finance, internal stuff. And then, you know, hiring people and stuff like that, internal, internal hires. And so we're really trying to move things to that place. And uh, we're, we're seeing some success in some areas and others are a little bit more slow going. And uh, that's why, you know, kind of tying this whole thread together, I can't be spending four hours a week writing a blog post. Yeah, it doesn't scale. It's not, yeah, it's not good for me. Like if we had a writer, sure. Well, then it begs the question, how are we going to afford a writer? Well, let's make sure these other things are in place so that I don't have to, you know, start 18 new coaching groups just to pay a writer. You know, <laughs> right. Let's use what we already have and systemize it. So that's how, you, that's how I'm viewing things. But back to the original question, how do I create content for the podcast? I look at the businesses through, through that lens and I really gear it towards the people who are in the startup and the ramp up. Mm, that's great. I loved what you talked about in your, I think it was your most recent email just a few days ago, and I saw it on social media too. You were talking about this. Um, well, in your predictions you for 2020, you talked about micro content. And I think this was an example of this. And correct me if I'm wrong. But it was this hilarious post about you're on the beach and, you know, is this an ad for like a middle-aged men's product? And I just loved that because it was really, really funny and a little self-deprecating. And I'm a middle-aged man. So, of course, I relate to that. But would you say that was an example of micro content is just something very small, a few sentences, a funny picture. Is that a good example of what you're talking about with the micro content? 
Yeah, because you know, with with the content out these days, like the whole the whole purpose of the content is really just to build relationships. Hmm. Right? I always say that marketing isn't about closing a sale; it's about opening a relationship. And when we think about the content that we're creating, there are really three reasons that people tune into the content that you create or any content in general. Like there's, there's only really three reasons why anyone pays attention to anything online. It's because they want to be, and these don't go in any particular order, but they either want to be educated, they want to be inspired, or they want to be entertained. And that's really the only three reasons that people tune into any kind of content. If you really think about it, we watch sports because we want to be entertained. We watch YouTube tutorials because we want to be educated. We watch Tony Robbins because we want to be inspired, right? We read books because we want to be educated, inspired, and entertained, right? Like all those things. And when you create this content, and whether it's long-form content, whether it's a podcast, whether it's micro-content, chances are that all of you are tuning in. You're, you're building your business or the business that you're trying to build is going to fall under one of those three categories. Mainly. And I'm mainly an educational brand. I teach Hmm. people marketing, right? But if I forsake entertainment and inspiration, I'm going to sound like a dry, boring teacher. (laughs) Correct. And nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants that. So 80% of what I do by and large is going to be educational. On my podcast, it's 80% educational, probably more so 90%. But within those episodes, I try to be, you know, I try to use my humor. Sometimes it's, you know, dry. Sometimes it's like... <laughs> That's why I, I record, love it, though. Yeah, I recorded an episode with a friend while we we're drinking scotch. You know, like, all right, I remember let's that just have one. some fun with this. <laughs> yeah, let's have some fun with this. Or there are other episodes that will be inspirational. So if I look through my Instagram feed or my Facebook feed, you know, the way that I use those channels is very different because of the way the channel is is set up. So on Facebook on my personal Facebook feed, it's probably 50 to 60%, even more so like inspirational and um, entertainment. I don't do a lot of education on Facebook because that's not why people really use Facebook. Right. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I'll go to Facebook to learn stuff. They don't do that. They say, I go to Facebook to stalk my friends, see what people are up to, <laughs> waste time and, and you know, get entertained. That's so true. Instagram has changed over the last couple of years because of the way influencers and marketers are using it and is becoming more of an educational platform, even though in the past it was more inspirational and there's a lot of entertainment on it. I use it um, for all three of those things. But then, you know, in my podcast, I'm heavily educational on my, in my email list, I'm heavily educational. I always want there to be a a clear takeaway, right, from it. And so, you know, a takeaway from that email that you mentioned was, hey, I just wrote this funny caption and maybe we should just have some fun in the kind of content we create. That's your takeaway, right? So if you think about all the content you're creating, it breaks down to those three things. Which one are you going to major on? And then you can build backwards from there. Man, that this is great. We could do a whole podcast on all of these any of these topics. It's just it's so so much stuff that is really really helpful. Now, maybe you don't want me asking about this on a public podcast, and I can edit this out if you want to. But are you still planning on? Or are you still working on a book? Yes, I remember I you talking she, about that yeah. a while back, and I I was like, oh man, I, I got to ask him about that because I've been so anxious to to read uh, to read that when it comes out. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm working on it still. Um, I am writing it. I'm at, I have actually made progress, which is good. And um, on one hand, I'm like, this is not as hard as I thought it would be. Because I just thought it would be like, I'd have to write like 900 pages. And then on the other hand, it's been very difficult to find time or make time to do it because um, I'm just in a season of so much travel. And I'm also in a season of doing a lot of scale up. Hmm. So back to what I was saying, like it, it takes a lot of time to, to put these systems in place. You know, if, if, if I'm talking with my team and they're like, hey, we want to run these funnels or we want to have these ads, you've got you've to build all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't really want to do it because there's not an immediate payoff. And that's the same thing with a book. You know, you so post true. something on social media and you get the payoff right away. And we become accustomed to that, you know, hits of what, whatever, right? Um, whatever positive brain chemicals hit us, right? Um, when, we, when we get that affirmation and we've, by and large, all of us have to some degree lost the ability to focus on one thing that's not going to have a payoff right away. And that's what both the systems that I have to build and this book, you know, fall under. And I just have to power through it. I just have to make it work. So yeah, there's that. I'll be doing a lot of writing on planes and in hotel rooms for the next <laughs> uh, season or so. Well, I know that that is a long and uh, sometimes a very drawn out and emotionally draining process. So whenever that yeah. comes out at some point, I will happily uh, read that and promote it and dive into it. Oh, so thank you. Yeah. Well, Mike, this we're, has been we're, a we're shooting for the end of the year. So we'll awesome. See. Mike, this has been a blast. I'm so grateful that you were able to take some time to chat with me. I know you're, again, you're traveling, you're so busy, you're working with the team and got so many different things happening. So I'm just grateful for the value that you're putting out into the world through your humor and your content and your podcast and man, just so many good things. I'm just really grateful for everything that you're doing to help people. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you know, we just all do our part, right? And for, for those of you who are listening, um, do the work, build the body of work. You, you never know who you're going to impact, right? And it's not wrong to want to impact people. And um, it's not wrong to share your stuff and share what you've learned. And uh, if I can be of help in any way, just reach out. And um, yeah, so let's all, we're all in this together, to be honest. You know, awesome. None of us is as good as all of us. So what's the it. best, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, I would honestly say, since you're listening, all listening to a podcast, just, listen to my podcast. It's called the brand you podcast. Uh, a great episode to start with would be, uh, the one on, uh, the seven steps to building a profitable personal brand. Um, I'll send, I'll send you that direct link, Kent, if you'd like. Okay. Yes. Uh, we can put it in the show notes. That's really kind of foundational to the stuff that I teach. And, um, that would be a great place to start because it just kind of lays out like the different steps and it, it is exactly what I've run uh, people through when I'm coaching them or in a court, uh, in a course or anything like that. It's just getting those things set up so that you can actually uh, build a strong foundation for all the content creation you're going to do. Cool. Well, Mike, thanks again so much. And I will link to all this great stuff in the show notes. And once again, really appreciate you and taking the time to do this. It was a pleasure to be with you and pleasure to be with all of you guys tuning in. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I loved it. And I hope that you got a lot of value from it. My main takeaway from this conversation is this. Mike's podcast and his email list are his main marketing channels. And that is a great insight. It's, it's a very simple and straightforward one, but sometimes we miss the stuff that's really simple and straightforward. 
And this is exactly the reason why I have moved more and more toward podcasting over the last couple of years. You can develop a really intimate and a personal connection with the listener in a podcast that it that it's impossible to get through a blog or even through a book. The podcast helps drive people to your email list, which is the main place that you can sell from. And I also enjoyed Mike's insight about the difference between a blog and a podcast. Your blog is like a single, talking about like a single on the radio, but your podcast is like an album where people can see all the episodes in one shot. And I love that analogy. That was really, really brilliant. Mike also mentioned that in content marketing, the components are value, and that's the question of, is it any good? Velocity, how often? And volume. And podcasting does all of those three things really well. So if you've never considered starting a podcast, I would really recommend you um, give it a shot and really consider doing that. Obviously, you're listening to this, so you know that I'm a huge fan of podcasting. I've been doing this since I think 2014 on and off, uh, definitely more on the last two or three years than off. Um, but I've got a lot of experience in podcasting and I can tell you firsthand that it really does make a difference in people's lives. It makes a difference for you as the podcaster and it makes a difference in the people's lives that you're connecting with because it's such an intimate and personal way to connect with people. Well, I want to give a massive thank you to my special guest, Mike Kim, and I want to encourage you to check out his podcast and blog at mikekim.com. There's lots and lots of great stuff there. Also, as I mentioned in the intro, make sure to follow him on social media because there's lots and lots of great stuff that you can learn about marketing and you're just going to have a good time when you follow Mike on social media. Then finally, make sure and check out his book, You Are the Brand, which is a phenomenal book. And there will be links to all that in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know that one of the four practices of a great writer is creativity. And in order to stay creative, you've got to have great input. And that's where writing prompts come in. A writing prompt is a sentence or two that helps you break through creative blocks, brainstorm new ideas, and get back into a state of flow. Writing prompts are an awesome creative tool for journaling, storytelling, creative writing, stress relief, social media posts, and so much more. But the great news is that you don't have to create these yourself. We've put together an amazing package of 365 daily writing prompts. So every day for the next year, you can have a shot of inspiration delivered straight to your inbox. You can check it out at dailywriterlife.com slash writing prompts. Thanks, and I'll see you tomorrow.